I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness to deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, we ask that now you would indeed build us up as we seek to understand your teaching. Send your spirit in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Peter also wrote a letter, and in his second letter, chapter 1, this is what Peter says. It is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. Keep on reminding you. That's what I'm doing over the next few weeks, reminding you, just simply reminding you of something I've said already um, in the past and maybe something you've already known. And yet, as Peter says, it is right to do so because despite us knowing it, and, and we know it, we often forget it. And so the next few weeks, we'll discuss what is the church, and particularly this morning, how we build up the body of Christ, how we build up the church, how we mature in the church, or how we promote the sanctification process, which simply means us the spiritual growth process. We're being sanctified. How we do that in the church, how's that to be done? And this is important, I believe, obviously, but we, because we have a habit in the church to, to think wrongly when it comes to building up the body of Christ. We have a general tendency to believe if the ordained pastors and the elders and the deacons do the work of ministry, we'll all mature in the faith and the body of Christ will grow. And of course, the pastors, the deacons, and the elders must do the work of ministry, but that's not the whole truth. And in a fundamental way, it's faulty thinking. Why? Because the church is not a spectator sport. You need to get involved. You must do the work of ministry. I've said this before, how excited. When I first came, I said this, about what God can do here at St. Stephen. I'm excited about seeing people saved, about seeing people mature in the faith. I'm excited about the prospect of growing our church, both numerically and spiritually. And I earnestly pray that he will so choose to bless us in that way. And yet I know, I know that if we're under the impression that our church will grow because of me as the pastor or the elders and the deacons doing the ministry while the rest of you sit back and take it all in, I know that we won't grow and we won't expand. And I know this is the case and the reality because that's what our passage teaches. 
God never intended only the pastors of the church to do the work of ministry. In fact, as we read this, we see it's the pastor's job to equip you to do the work of ministry. Everybody here, anybody here who claims to know Christ as their Savior and Lord, the name of Christ, is you've come to know Him, you all have a role in the ministry of the church. And so if we are going to grow as a church, if the body is going to be built up, then we must be equipped to do the work of ministry. That's the main lesson of our passage and the main lesson I'll be focusing on this morning. The entire church should be engaged in spiritual labor. Your attendance here in, in the morning, um, maybe it's Sunday school, maybe if you go to a weekly small group, it, it should be more than just kind of uh, meeting friends and hearing an uplifting message. Nothing wrong with that. They're good things. But you should attend these things, church, Sunday school, Bible studies, and so on and so forth, with the view that these are the means God has provided to equip me for ministry. Now, if you were to ask me, I, I know that we have a statement, kind of a, a, a blurb that says we're the beacon on the hill, but if you were to ask me, well, what would be the mission, vision statement you would make for a church? Um, what would be your purpose statement? And it would be this, equipping the saints for the work of ministry until Christ returns. It's not new. It's not innovative. What it is is Biblical. And it is necessary if we're going to glorify God here at St. Stephen. If we are going to see our church grow, if we're going to see our church mature, we must have an every member ministry. And so let me just ask, are you equipped for ministry? Are you equipped? That word equipped there in verse 12 means be sufficiently prepared for the task at hand. Are you sufficiently prepared for the task at hand, which is the work of ministry, the work of service in God's church, in God's kingdom? And, and verse 12 clarifies that work of ministry that is being spoken of here is the building up of the body of Christ. That's the task of ministry we're talking about. Are you equipped for building up the body of Christ? Now, this building project, if you were to put it that way, this work of ministry, uh, according to Paul here, is twofold. First, it involves bringing the unsaved to Christ. It's telling people about Jesus, and, and, and the, when the uh, Spirit works, bringing them to Christ. And second, it involves the teaching and maturing of those who have come to Christ, including us, right? That's the call of your life. And by the way, that, it, it, that's your lifelong calling, it never changed the moment you got saved. It never ends until Christ returns or He takes you home. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, this description is something that will not be attained until Christ returns. We, we're told that to strive for it. We, we work at it. Marvelous progress can be made, but only when we get to heaven will we fully realize what we strive for now, and yet we still strive. And, and so the question remains, do you have the equipment necessary to persevere in this lifelong calling of yours, to grow and mature in Christ and help others do the same? 
You know, some people come to Christ, I just want, you know, insurance from hell. You know, I get saved, and I just want to sit back and absorb, and, you know, I'll come to church. I may even make an offering, but I don't want to go further than that. That means you're, you're, you're not a Christian. A Christian, a believer in Christ, is someone who has a lifelong calling to grow and mature in Christ and to help others do the same. See, that is your calling. Here's another way of saying it, that you are called to be discipled and disciple others. That's a simpler way of saying it. Every believer should have that type of relationship. Somebody that's discipling you, somebody that you turn to that's maybe mature in the faith, has been in the faith longer to help you, and then someone you, in turn, are helping because they are younger in the faith. You should have someone who is discipling you, and you should be discipling someone else. Now, when you come to church to worship, you're being discipled. That's part of it. That's what the Word says. Worship in Sunday school, you're being discipled. They're important. They're necessary means for growing and being equipped. But what I'm speaking of here is something more than just sitting and soaking in a message. See, discipleship, biblically speaking, is relational. It's relational. And so you must be in a personal relationship with other believers who can help you mature in the faith, and you must be in a personal relationship with others helping them grow in the faith. And, and, and you say, well, where are you getting this idea? When I signed up, I thought it was just showing up on Sunday. Well, let's look at Jesus' ministry. Let's consider Jesus' ministry. What did he do? He discipled 12 men. He discipled those men. He taught others. He did other things, but he focused on those men. He, 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 and then he sent them out to disciple others. He spent time with them. He ate meals with them. He even went fishing with them. He taught them. He prayed for them. He ministered to them. He gave them this model to follow, and then he sent them into the world to make disciples of others. It wasn't overly profound, but... When you think of it, it transformed the world. In fact, in fact, Acts says they turned the world upside down. You ever, you ever think about this? They, these, this Jesus, and then he dies, and we know he resurrects, and then you have these 12 disciples who doubted him. Well, now you have 11. Um, and, and so and then they, they bring in another one. So they have 12 disciples, and at first they didn't believe it. Jesus raises. They, they, they received the Holy Spirit. And they live in this little small part of the world. You know, it's, it's, it's smaller than Jersey. And, 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 and they're there, and they're all they're told to do. Now, they do have some powers. They were healing people. But they just go out and preach. That's what Peter does at first. And then, and then the gospel spreads all over the world. All over the world. The church has grown, and the kingdom of God has advanced. And, and Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and, and what did they do? They told people about Christ. They gave, shared the gospel. They taught them. And nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Of course, a lot has changed in 2,000 years, but this hasn't changed. The method is still the same, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And, and Paul, he doesn't leave us to figure out on our, on, our, on our own what a mature believer looks like, what a mature church looks like. He helps us here. 
He doesn't just kind of paint a general picture. He's also specific. He tells us that if we equip the saints for the work of ministry, if we have an every member ministry, if we're all building up the body of Christ, there's certain characteristics uh, that will result. You'll be able to look at an individual or look at a church and be able to say, that's a mature believer. That's a mature church. And so, in what does maturity uh, consist? First, Paul tells us, verse 4 and 5 of chapter 4, is unity. Now, this is earlier. He spoke of unity. And he spoke of something the church has already has and must be maintained. And that's in chapter, verse 4 and 5. He says, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, right? So the church already possesses those unities, and we must work to maintain them, he says. We are one body, act it, so on and so forth. Uh, we must maintain the unity we already have. But now we're in verse 13. And Paul speaks of unity again. And he says, this is the kind of unity you must attain. It, it doesn't exist yet, at least not in its full expression, but it's something we must aspire to. Look at the first part of verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There's two parts to this unity that we're trying to attain. The first part is the unity of faith. And the second part is the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity of faith and unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, the first one, unity of faith. It's not talking about your faith, your subjective faith. I have faith in Christ. It, it, it refers to the faith, the doctrines of our faith. It refers to the theological content, excuse me, of Christianity. A mature church strives for doctrinal unity. It strives to be united around the great theological teachings of the Bible. If you are grounded in doctrine, you will be an individual or the church as a whole will be a church. That is, look at verse 14, will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. If you're not grounded in doctrine, you will be led astray like a child who is easily deceived. That's what Paul's saying. And you will remain weak in the faith and rather than grow and mature. You know, children are wonderful to be around. We just baptize an infant. They're, they're wonderful to be around. But an adult who acts like a child isn't wonderful to be around. They're, they're annoying, right? And so if you have been a Christian for any length of time and have not grown in doctrine, you're a spiritual child. This is not a mock. I'm not mocking anyone. Paul, The book of Hebrews, that is, says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You, you, you should be teaching others. And at this point, the author here is saying, you, you don't know the doctrines yourself, not even the basic ones. He says, you need milk, not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Evil. That is Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. 
And so do you see what he's saying? If you, if you want to grow in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ, as verse 15 of our chapter says, then you need to grow in your doctrinal knowledge. You need to grow in your theological knowledge. You need to know the Word of God. But, you know, Pastor, that just this stuff bores me. If you're bored by Christ, I can't help you. I can pray for you. But we need to know these things. Now, this goes beyond. Dr. Boyce tells us this. He goes, look, this goes beyond what can be packed in the head. It's not just what's packed in the head. It, it needs to trickle down, he says, into the heart and in the flow out of the life of the believer. And that leads to the second part of this unity. It, the knowledge of the Son of God is an experiential knowledge. What do I mean by that? The doctrines of the faith should warm your heart. It's not just checking off things you can teach and recite. It, it, it should spark in you a passion for your relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and it, what would happen is after you, you understand these truths and it warms your heart, you have a passion for it, you, you begin living it out in, in reality and in time, experientially in your day-to-day -day fellowship with Jesus and with others. People look at you and your actions and they're able to discern what you believe in your heart and mind. They just see it in your life. It, 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 doctrine is practical. Everything you do in a, as a Christian is grounded in what you believe. Now, God's gracious. Often we believe the wrong thing, but maybe we still do the right thing. God is gracious, and vice versa. But understand that everything that we do and say we want to do and how we want to live is grounded in our doctrine. In fact, that's how Ephesians was written. In the book of Ephesians, Paul begins three chapters, and all he talks about is doctrine. And he talks about what Christ has accomplished for you. It's what they call the indicative. He's saying, this has been done. This has been done. Because he is righteous, you've been declared righteous. Because he has eternal life, you share in his eternal life. Because he's an heir of righteousness, you're a co-heir with him. Because he rose from the dead, you also will bodily resurrect. Because of these doctrinal truths, Paul can say now, all these truths, all this doctrine, everything I just said, therefore... Therefore, I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. In light of everything you understand doctrinally, now live your life. In light of what Christ has done for you, therefore, you are now called to live a certain way. And so the first result of a church that is equipping the saints for the work of ministry is that they will work to maintain the unity it already has and then they will strive to attain the unity of the faith, the doctrines of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the first result of a church, that it's equipping the saints. If we don't see that, then we're not equipping the saints. Second, the goal, result or goal of equipping the saints and a sign that a church is mature is teamwork. You know, look at verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's teamwork. You know, you know the saying, the silly saying, teamwork makes the dream work or something like that. I don't know, but it's not here in the text, but you get the point. You got to work together. It's the reason why we must strive for every member ministry. If every member is not doing his or her part, the church is not working properly. We're not working properly. 
Now, Paul often uses this body imagery to describe the church. He knows that like our bodies, each part has a role to play, so he uses that imagery. And when each part of the body is working properly, i.e., when the church is, each, each part of the church is working properly, the church will grow. It will not be stifled. It will not be stunted. I, I told this story before. I grew up wrestling for a very, very good wrestling team, one of the top in the country. I wasn't good, they were. But to be good, they, people had to lose weight. We had some incredible wrestlers, world champions, state champions, two, three years in a row. One of them, a couple, actually several of them, had to lose so much weight. For example, I wrestled 101 my senior year. I, I am literally more than double my... Um, <laughs> And my friend, they had to lose 20, 30 pounds. And they did that every four years of high school, and they were the best of the best, but they stunted their growth. They never grew. They were the same weight. Their body wasn't working properly. Their muscles and their bones were deprived of the proper nutrition, and so they never got any taller. They stunted their growth. Paul says, look, it's the same. When, when one part of the body is suffering, the whole body suffers. And, 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 and we're malnourished in the Word. We're malnourished in our fellowship. We're malnourished in our understanding of Christ. We get stunted in the faith. But when each person is doing a part, when it's an every-member ministry, we grow together. And so that's the second sign of a mature church. First is striving for unity. Second, an every-member ministry. Quickly, third... A result of equipping the church and a sign of maturity is Christ-likeness. Look again at verse 13, this time the second half. Till we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A mature believer is someone who's being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. Uh, Christ is our standard, and, and, and into his likeness we're to be growing. And so a third sign that a church is equipping the saints, a third sign that the church is maturing and its members are maturing is that the members are growing in Christ-likeness, coming more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Fourth, the church is equipping the saints and is growing and maturing. The fourth sign is love. Look at verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. Look at the end of verse 16. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul says we are to be speaking and living the truth, these knowledge things, in a loving manner. As important as unity is, as important as truth is, as important as growing in Christ-likeness is, they cannot be separated from love. When you subtract love from unity, what do you have? You have tyranny, where human standards are forced upon people to keep them outwardly united. Subtract love from truth, and you have cold and bitter orthodoxy that will win no one to Christ. And, and if you subtract love from growing in Christ's likeness, what you get is self-righteousness. 
See, the greatest of these is love. If you express love, if you love God, if you love Christ, if you love the Bible, if you love one another, if you love the lost, you will grow and mature in these other areas as well. Love for others does what? It produces unity. Love for the Bible produces growth and maturity in your knowledge of the truth. And love for God and Christ will result in conforming you more and more into the image of his likeness. Love is indispensable. And you cannot express love without being in a relationship with God and others. And so if you and the church and our church as a whole is going to mature and grow, if the body of Christ is going to be built up, we must be in loving, vital relationships with one another. Now, you know me well enough now. You know that I believe, and I do believe this because I believe it's biblical, that the single most important thing you can do as a Christian to mature in the faith is to attend weekly the worship service and sit under the preaching of the word. I believe that's the most important. But as true as that is, if you believe, if you believe you are going to mature and be equipped for this lifelong journey of equipping the saints, by one hour of week of worship, you're a fool. You're foolish. Christ was the best preacher to ever walk the face of the earth. We'd probably say the Apostle Paul was the second greatest preacher to walk on the earth. I'm probably 6,980,000, somewhere in there. But if when Christ was on earth, the best preacher, he, he preached the word, don't get me wrong, but he spent most of his time in this relationship with those 12 disciples before sending them out to make disciples. And so an active involvement in a prayer group, active involvement in a small group Bible study, other discipleship relationship where you can effectively love one another is fundamental for the church's growth and maturity as well as your growth and maturity. See, see I can study doctrine and, 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 and I can marvel at it in an ivory tower somewhere alone in my library, in my, my office, wherever I want. In fact, there's nothing wrong with that unless that's all there is. I can't love my neighbor. I can't love the brethren sitting in my room alone with a theology book, or for that matter, even just the Bible. It, it's meant to, to send me outside so I can love others. You have to be in relationship is the point. And so, equipping the saints for the work of ministry until Christ returns, it's no small vision for a church or a purpose for the church. Building up the body of Christ, maturing and growing in the faith is not easy. You know, we're just talking about this just generally. Forget all the other things that just bombard our lives and come into our world to distract us. It's still hard even if they're not there. And it encompasses your whole life, your whole Christian life, and demands all your diligence. It demands all the perseverance you can muster. But you're not left to do it yourself. In fact, you can't do it yourself. You can't do it in your own strength. It's too much of a task. Christ does most of the work in making the body grow. Look again at verses 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom 
the whole body joined and held together by every joint with with is equipped when each part of the work makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. From whom, he says in verse 16, that from whom is Jesus, it's the Lord. Power for producing mature, equipped believers comes not from the effort of those believers alone, but from their head, the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's from Christ that the body and all its parts derive its life. By his power, the body of Christ is joined and held together. Christ is the head of the church. He redeems men and women and make them part of the church. He gives life to the church. He builds up the church. And not only this, but Christ himself gives to the church gifted men uh, to lead and equip the saints in the office of, of under shepherds placed under his shepherding care. That's what it was said in verse 11, if you go back there. And he gave, referring to Christ, who, according to verse 10, ascended far above the heavens. Jesus ascended, and he gave, in his absence, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's not an exhaustive list of gifts. If you look at Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, you'll, you'll see other gifts. But here in these verses, the focus is on the gift of communication, the, gift of, the gifts of communication. Now, the first two, apostles and prophets, are foundational gifts. These are people who saw the risen Lord. And these, are, these are people who were anointed and set apart by the church, and, and they were apostles. They were for the early part. They revealed the word. They wrote the word, most of them. And, 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 and the prophets prophesied the word wasn't finished, but now we have the word of God. They're foundational gifts. They're no longer given today. There's no more apostles like the apostle Paul. We're all apostles in one sense because it means sent ones. But specifically here, when he's talking about the apostles, there's no more of them despite the names of some churches. Churches. Now, the evangelist and the pastor teacher are the gifts that he now gives to the church today to equip the saints. And think about it. You see how this fits? I said earlier, what? What's the, what's, what's the work of ministry involve? It involves evangelism and teaching. And he gives us evangelists and teachers. He equips us to accomplish what he set us out to do. And so God has gifted the church with the evangelist and pastor to teach uh, and teachers to train us, to teach us his word, to be an example to us and to motivate us to do the work of ministry. That is their role. And notice something here. This doesn't mean that only those that get the gift of evangelism are to do evangelism. You know, the, the whole point of giving gifts evangelists to the church is so they can equip others to do the work of evangelism. It doesn't mean that the pastor teacher is the only one to teach. Rather, the shepherds of the church are to equip the saints so that you could do the work of discipleship. And we have uh, Bible study, women Bible study leaders, men Bible study leaders. We have, we have people who are taught and then they're discipling others. We're all called to do that in some way for the building up of the body of the church. And, and, and so understand, you may not have the gift to be a, a teacher, but you're to teach. And, and, and so we need to understand that they are there and given to us by Christ for the purpose of preparing us to do the work of ministry. And so I ask you again, are you equipped? Are you equipped for the work of ministry? That's, that's what Paul's calling. That's what we need. 
in our church. Let me, let me close with this and give one practical application. And that's it. Discover your gift and get involved. Study all the passages on the gifts. There's some confusing things. What does he mean by tongues? What does he mean? Ask, ask me, uh, find a book. You can sort those things out. But, but Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12, they, they give us a, a generally exhaustive list of gifts. One way to help it, think of your spiritual strengths and abilities. Ask yourself, what do I like to do? What am I good at? That doesn't always correlate. The last thing I ever wanted to do is stand in front of people. Right? I, I, I ran out of the classroom when I had to give speeches in school. And then, I, and then that, that changed. Now I don't, I don't want to be quiet. But, but, but the point is, you find what you like to do. Ask others. They can help you. They, they, the, the proverb says, where's wisdom and many counselors? Get involved. Serve in different areas. Seek the wisdom of others. The point is you need to seek to discover how Christ has gifted you to serve in the church. Now, remember, just because you don't have a certain gift does not mean you are not to serve in that area of ministry. Not everybody has the gift of hospitality. That's one of the gifts. But it doesn't give you the right to be rude. Well, you know, I, I'm unfriendly. Why? Well, I didn't get the gift of hospitality. Some people have the gift of giving. doesn't give you the right not to give. You get the point. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but you're commanded in Scripture to evangelize the lost. But that being said, seek to discover your spiritual gift and then use that gift to the glory of God. And for what? For equipping the saints, for building up the body of Christ. That is our purpose. Let me close. There's one more question I want to ask. I'm going I'm to play the part of the evangelist now. And I want to address that maybe some of you here who are at church, you you say, I'm part of the body, here I am. Being here doesn't make you a part of the body necessarily. It It shows something, but it means nothing in the long run just because you attend church. Many people join churches. Many people go to church but are not part of the body of Christ. I'm asking, have you ever trusted Christ alone for your salvation? Have you said to yourself, I am a sinner in need of grace. I am under God's wrath. I trust that Christ took my punishment upon himself. He gave me his righteousness, and now I'm redeemed by his blood. I've been washed in his blood. He has forgiven me. He didn't just die. He died for me. Do you believe that? Have you ever trusted Christ alone for your salvation? See, if you haven't done that, you're not part of the body of Christ. But my plea and and this evangelistic aspect of the sermon's plea is that you would believe, that you would trust Christ. And I pray, I pray that those that you come in contact with that are believers, that they've demonstrated the love of Christ. But we're not perfect. And so trust in Christ and then love and help us. Turn to Christ, and he will gift you. Turn to Christ, and he will redeem you. And you'll be able to spend the rest of your life in your calling, which is building up the body of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we hear the call. We know the demand. We know what Scripture teaches. 
We know what Christ accomplished and what we're to do now. We pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit upon us and this church in such a mighty way that those around us who see us would say, what is different about them? And we can say that we belong to Jesus. Amen.